Lord, you're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of, worthy of our adoration, Lord. You're worthy of all of our affections. You are wonderful, Lord. Just one look at your face. Just one glimpse of the wonder of who you are, Lord, is enough. Your love surpasses all understanding. Your mercy plunges the depths unknown, Lord. Your grace is beyond measure that you would look upon such ones as us and call us unto yourself, Lord. I don't understand it, Lord, but I'm grateful today that you call us, that your voice calls in the earth. You call sinners, you call the worst of the worst unto yourself. You called me to yourself, Lord, many years ago, and you continue to call me and to woo me. And Lord, I just want to thank you today. I just want to tell you I love you. I love you as best as I can, Lord. I want to love you with all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, all of my strength. And you've made a way for us to be that way with you, Lord, because you loved us first. And Jesus, I pray that your voice would speak today. I pray that your voice would woo us and call us. I pray you will open up hearts to know you, to understand your love and your mercy. God, unveil the cross this morning. Help us, Lord, to better understand the reality of what you actually accomplished in the work of the cross. What that new and living way really means for us, your people, and for those that are still outside of your promises. Lord, make a way for them today. Anyone listening, anyone in hearing of your voice today, Lord, I pray you would draw them. I pray, oh God, you would open their hearts to the wonder of your love, to your mercy, God, to their condition, but also, Lord, for your provision for their condition. Jesus, be glorified. Be lifted up, Lord. Take this vessel, Lord. It's yours. You own it. You purchased it. Work through it today, I pray, Lord. Holy Spirit, speak what you want to speak to our hearts this morning. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to his church, to his bride. Give us ears to hear you, Lord. And help us to take heed how we hear. So, Lord, I trust you, God, to have your way as we look at your words, we look at you as we listen for your voice this morning, God. Accomplish what only you can accomplish in every heart here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to read a verse. I think you shared it. Adam shared it Wednesday night as we're wrapping up our study in 2 Corinthians. This is out of 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. Uh, maybe it was two weeks ago. And when he read it, 
it went into me. God's word is spirit, okay? And when God speaks a word and we're open and we're his people and we hear his voice, he's able to make that word real to us and, and his desire is for us to know and understand the reality of what he's saying to us. So when I heard these words, it went into me, and, and, the re and what God was saying to me was, I want you to understand this in a greater way for yourself so you can lead others into the reality of what these verses are saying. And so here in verse 2, the Apostle Paul says to this church that he planted, he says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. And so that's what I want to look at today. What's, what is Paul talking about? What does this mean? I am betrothed to Christ, a chaste virgin nonetheless. What does that mean for us? Why is this so important? Especially now when really the church is, isn't much unlike Israel was back in the day when God was pursuing his own people in the Old Testament and calling them his bride, but yet they were giving themselves to every other lover that they could. And the church has defiled herself. The church has lost her first love. The church, much of it, has forgotten that she is the bride of Christ and what that means and how it, it should affect how we live our lives while we sojourn here on earth. So I want to talk this morning really just about the betrothal. What does it mean to be betrothed to Christ? And that that word basically means to join together or to join in wedlock, okay? Now, in John chapter 3, John the Baptist, just like Paul, was also espousing a people to a groom. And in, in, in John chapter 3, verse 29, he says it this way. He says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So John is overcome with joy because the Messiah, the promised one, the groom, the bridegroom he's talking about has arrived. It's God incarnate on the earth. It's Jesus, the word of God made flesh, walking on the earth, seeking a bride. And so John rejoices, not just because of that, but he also rejoices, it says, that he hears his voice calling for his bride. I hear his voice here all the time. I hear his voice when I'm out and about. I hear his voice in so many different ways. He spoke to me just this morning while I was sitting here. His voice is precious. And he's speaking. He, he is calling. 
Hasn't he been calling? He's still calling. He, he wants to woo us. He wants you. He wants me. I'm amazed at how passionately the Lord calls us. It's, it's a passion. He's amazing. And that voice is still calling out today. He's still seeking his bride until the day we all sit at the wedding feast with him. And I can't wait for that day. So he says, therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. We should always strive to be less so that Jesus can be more. And really, that is a picture for ministers that, you know, we've made ministers in this country superstars. We've exalted people. But John understood, no, I have to decrease. I have to get low. Paul understood, right, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, or is it 2 Corinthians chapter 2? Yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, it's about him. It's about the bridegroom. It's about Jesus. It's not about a man. It's not about a denomination. It's not about this or that. It is all about him. And he says, I was with you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling, my speech and my preaching, they were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. They're not from the natural reasoning mind. We don't need men's thoughts. We need God's thoughts. We need God's word in this hour. We need men. We need women that speak the words of God in the spirit. But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He must increase. I must decrease. So when Paul says, I have betrothed you to one husband, that's what he's saying. I didn't betroth you to me. Remember when they were arguing, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. He says, I betrothed you to Christ. You have been betrothed to Christ. However you came to him, however or whoever shared the gospel with you, you didn't come to that person. You came to Jesus. You were betrothed to him. And that needs to be real to you. You are, if you are born again, you have been betrothed to Christ. You are his bride. You are in preparation for a glorious wedding to take place one day where you will be wed with him for all of eternity. I betrothed you to one husband. Now what he says after that is where it really gets beyond the human or natural reasoning mind when he says <laughs> that I may present you a chaste virgin. Now, I, we, we need to understand the people he's saying this to, 
back in 1 Corinthians 6, he basically said to these same people that he's saying now, I'm going to present you as a chaste virgin. He said to them that basically they were all, such were some of you, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revelers, extortioners. But he says you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. You see, that's what the gospel does. That is the wonder of the gospel. Such were some of you. We were all, or we could put ourselves all in this category. We all, we'll, we'll see in a moment, have sinned and fall short the glory of God. There was none righteous. There was nothing about us that should attract him. Nothing. But yet, he says, I'm going to present you as a chaste virgin, a pure, spotless bride to Christ. That's what the gospel does. It takes a wretched, dirty, vile sinner and tra transforms them into a chaste virgin. And we see this type of marriage represented many different ways in the scriptures. This whole idea of God's people being his bride. Ephesians 5 is a, a very well-known verse where Paul is talking about marriage between a man and a woman, but he says here in verse 31, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But this is a great mystery I speak concerning Christ and the church. It's a mystery. And that's why marriage is so important. That's why Christians should take marriage so important because it represents something so much greater than what our earthly eyes see or understand. It represents an ultimate marriage in heaven. And we are to be representatives. We're to show the world what that looks like in our husband and wife relationship. We're to honor that heavenly relationship with our earthly relationship. That's why, you know, I'll just say this, divorce is such a grievous thing to God, and, and Christians have gotten to the point where we just take it so lightly. Now, I don't want to condemn anyone that, that has, you know, gone through a divorce. You know, there's mercy with God where there's repentance and all that. So I'm not saying that to condemn anybody, but we need to hold marriage in the proper place it needs to be. We need to be, as God's people, very, very sensitive and led by the Spirit and led by the Word of God whenever something is happening in the marriage and we're even contemplating divorce because it's a serious issue to God and it speaks to the world about that greater relationship of Christ in the church. In Isaiah 54, 5, it says this about the Lord's people. And, and this is right after Isaiah 53, where God is talking about the suffering servant, Jesus, who bore our sins. And, and 
Isaiah 54 now is a continuation of that and the result of that. And he says in verse 5, your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. Isaiah 62, 5. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Psalm 45, that whole psalm is a picture of a king, Jesus. And his bride. I would encourage you, read that psalm. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of this marriage that we're talking about this morning. But in, in verse 10, it says, Listen, O daughter, consider, incline your ear, forget not or forget your own people and your father's house. In other words, leave them behind. And that's what happens in marriage. So the king will greatly desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Worship him. That's why I love worship. I love it. I love worshiping him. And, and today was a little more special because he, he spoke something so lovely to me. And it just makes me love him more. I'm in love. I really am. I'm in love with him. And so when I'm worshiping, and, and it should be this way, when we're worshiping, we're just sharing those affections. With, we're just giving back to him what he's given to us, the way he loves us and showers his mercy and grace upon us. We should be bound. We should come in here. We should be all the time just wanting to shout it out. I love you, God. You're worthy. Thank you. There's no one like you, Lord. Yes, God, a day in your courts is better than anything this world has to offer. I've only tasted, Lord, but you're better than anything I've ever experienced. That should be there all the time. If we're betrothed, if we're his bride, we should be enraptured with him. That's what he wants. And we have such a picture of that in the Song of Solomon, a beautiful book of this relationship. And there in Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Listen, forget these earthly romance books. Get in your Bible, okay? <laughs> this is a love story. And this isn't fantasy. This is reality. Amen. <laughs> For your love is better than wine. Because of the fragrance of your good ointments, your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you. And then she says, the king has brought me into his chambers. If we could grasp that, the king, Jesus, brings us into his chambers. He really calls us. You know, he, he's not going to pull us, drag us, kicking and screaming into his chambers. Sometimes it feels like that's what he has to do. Why? 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 Why would he ever have to drag us 
spend time with him, to enter into his chambers. But yet, the sad fact is, it, a lot of times we've got to drag people, kicking and screaming. Spend time with him. Make time with him. He's waiting for you. You have access to his chambers. The king. Not now, Lord. Oh, man. What a slight to him. After all he's gone through to give us that access. Hosea, another beautiful book. Chapter 2, verse 16. It shall be in that day, says the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. That's a prophecy of the new covenant. It's a prophecy of what we have what we've been given through Christ. And it's all his. It's all his righteousness, his justice. It's nothing we did. Revelation 19, verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice. Give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage of the supper of the Lamb. And he said, these are the true sayings of God. Blessed are you. Blessed are you if you're called to the marriage of the supper, sorry, the marriage of the Lamb. Blessed are you. Do you feel blessed? Do you understand how blessed you are? Do you act like it? Do you live like it? He's my beloved. That calling to the marriage feast really is the call of the gospel. That's what's at the heart of the gospel. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it. He came out of love and mercy when we deserved wrath. It's love. You understand that. It, it's, it's the greatest expression of his love. We see in the children of Israel, God was limited in how he could express his love to them. He did it with them through chastising and judgment and constantly bringing them back, providing and you know, but, but yet, in the new covenant, it's magnified totally when he comes and does what they couldn't do by the works of the law. It was the, you understand, it was the greatest manifestation, and that's what Hosea is talking about. Listen, there's coming a day, I'm going to make an everlasting covenant, and you're going to be my wife forever. And it says in there, I don't know how many times, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And when you think about it, Jesus is our high priest, just like there was a high priest in the Old Testament that had to go in once a year to atone for the people's sin. And Hebrews 
chapter 9, verse 11, tells us about Christ's position as the high priest. It says Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, the new covenant, with a greater, more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats or calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place for all, having obtained eternal redemption. He came to make a way where there was no way to atone for our sins. And we see in Leviticus, the high priest cannot marry just anybody. It has to be a chaste virgin. It says in Leviticus 21, 13, about the high priest, this was part of the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He shall take a wife in her virginity. That pretty much does away with all of us, right? A widow, a divorced woman, a defiled woman, a harlot, these he shall not marry, but he shall take a virgin of his own people as wife. Again, that would be none of us, right? Now, I want to look at the book of Hosea because the book of Hosea gives us a picture of this betrothal and marriage, and it teaches us the reality of this wedding contract and what our proper response should be to this divine invitation, okay? So in the beginning of the book, in Hosea 1, verse 2, it says... When the Lord began to speak to Hosea, his prophet, he said to him, Go, take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry, harlotry by departing from the Lord. So that's a little strange, isn't it, if we look at it in the natural? I mean, just think about it. Think about the godliest person you know, godliest man or whatever. Um, and you're helping them find a bride. You know, they're, they're praying. And you give them some ideas like, hey, I got an idea. Why don't you go down to Covenant? I know a street where the prostitutes hang out. That'd be a great place. Go there and find your wife. That's basically what God is saying to this prophet. And it's a picture, really, of what God gets with us. I mean, I hate to say it. You know, we, we don't like that, but it's just true. When Jesus came to this earth, he didn't come for this great people. Oh, there's one. Oh, yeah, surely. There's a pure chaste virgin, a perfect Made for me? No, no. He came to a world full of harlots. There's none righteous. So we have to understand the reality, our reality, the reality of who he is, but yet what he does for us. It's really amazing. It really is amazing. So Hosea chose Gomer despite her sin just like he chose you and I. We don't know about her past, right? 
But we know it was against all worldly logic that Hosea, a prophet, a man of God, would take her for a wife, right? It just doesn't make sense. I say this to the Lord all the time. Lord, I don't understand why you want me. But thank you that you do. I don't understand why you speak to me the way you do, but Lord, thank you. I for sure don't deserve it. Because I'll just tell you, when I was at my filthiest, that's when he offered himself to me. So this is our story. Along with all of God's people throughout history, this is our story. God chose us. He adopted us as sons and daughters. Offered his hand in marriage despite our sin. Despite our sin. So then in chapter 2 in Hosea, we see, like I talked about earlier, God's promise to redeem and make a new covenant. Even though he knows, he knows what his people are going to do. He knows they're still going to go after other gods. So he's, he knew it in the garden. He knew he was going to have to do something greater than what the law could do. And so that's really where this is going here in chapter 2. And I'm going to start here in verse 14. This is God's mercy on his people. So I want you to notice as well in here how many I wills there are, okay? How many I wills there are in here, okay? Therefore, behold, who will? I will. I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyard from there and the valley of Acre as a door of hope. That was uh, in some ways a negative and a positive symbol for Israel because they suffered a horrible defeat at the city of Ai um, and it was in the valley of Acre. Actually, they stoned the guy that caused all the problems because he took some devoted pe things from the, the people the children of Israel had conquered that God said, that's mine. And so they suffered a horrible defeat. But really, this was the beginning, the entrance into the promised land. And eventually, they got right, and they got in to the promised land. And Jericho came right after that. I'm, not, I'm sorry, this was right after Jericho. And that's when they answered the promise. And so God's saying, that place that can bring some negative thoughts to you, I'm going to make it a place of hope. I'm going to bring you into my promises. And he's saying that to us today. You might look back. You might see a valley. You might see a place in your life that you see as a negative. But God's telling you, that very thing, that thing you see as a negative, I'm going to make a positive. I'm going to make it a door of hope for you. That's what he did in the cross, really. And you'll sing there. See, worship. You'll sing. That's where your worship will come from. You'll sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. And it will be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband. You'll no longer call me my master, for I will. I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals, and they shall be remembered no more by their name. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, with the creeping things of the ground, 
bow and sword of battle, I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. I will betroth you to me in righteousness, in justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And you shall know the Lord. And in John 17, 3, it says that's what salvation is, to know him. And you shall know the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So if we're going to understand the truth and the tremendous grace and mercy involved in our betrothal, we're going to have to understand what God's getting. Okay? What is he getting? Romans 3.23. Scripture's clear on what God gets. All have sinned and fall short the glory of God. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, not one. Isaiah 64, 6 says, we are all like an unclean thing. And all of our righteousness is like a filthy rag. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. But Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. He died for us. So what does he get? A harlot. A gomer. I mean, that's, that's what we are before Christ. We're a gomer. That's what the natural, the, the fall, the, the natural man is, a harlot. Looks to everything else but God. We have no beauty. Our best righteousness is as filthy rags. I, it doesn't matter how much makeup, nice clothes you put on us. Our best is like a filthy rag to him. The law proved that. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves acceptable to him. Romans 5.8, again, I'm sorry, we have no dowry. This is important. In other words, we bring nothing into the marriage that's going to benefit him. Okay? Actually, we bring a pretty big debt with us. It, it's talked about in Matthew 18 in that parable about forgiveness. And, you know, the, the, the whole idea there is there's this king and there's a servant and he owes like 10,000 talents and that was an amount that was just astronomical. There was no way and he was basically going to be thrown into prison. That's the reality of our condition. We are confined to prison. We are confined to an eternity without God in hell. And the debt that to get out of there there's nothing we can do to pay that. So what does our groom have to do? He has to absorb that debt. And he did. That's what Isaiah 53 is all about. He absorbed our debt. He paid for it with his life, with his blood. That's what the cross is all about. He paid a debt we couldn't pay. He absorbed our debt so he could marry us. 
we're not well born. We, we don't have a good lineage. I mean, we're children of Adam. <laughs> right? We're conceived in sin. And, and God paints this picture, and he, I think it's Ezekiel chapter 16. Um, and he basically tells, and this was like a real slight to the children of Israel, because, you know, we're children of Abraham. He says, no, you're the children of the Hittites and the something else, the Amorites, which were like the two most evil ever peoples on the earth. And he basically says, no, that's your lineage. You're actually from them. That's who your father and mother are. And it's really just a picture of our lineage. Like there's nothing about our parentage you know, that says, oh, hey, I, I know a nice bride for you. She comes from a good family, and, oh, her father's a doctor, her mother's this, whatever. Oh, and they're godly. They go to church. They're Christian. She'd be perfect for you. No. It's not like that at all. There was nothing in us, nothing about us to move him to win, to woo him, no beauty, no grace to draw his affections. Do you understand it was his own mercy? It's by grace you and I have been saved. It's for his name's sake. It, it's really for his name's sake. We have to get grips or get a hold of that. If you don't, you'll never love him properly. You'll never understand the tremendous love he has for you that he would even do that for you and me. That's what makes us love him more, when we understand that in a greater way. So this is important for us to understand as, a, as his bride. Because like I said, when we understand our condition, it magnifies the love of God. I was thinking about this, and I, I saw a good illustration of this. You know, when we think about in the natural, when we're looking for a bride, men either marry for beauty, a person, wealth, or parentage. Beauty will often sway a man's heart. But where beauty is lacking and the person is wanting, wealth and riches could mend that. That could take care of that. Yet where all these are wanting, sometimes good manners, education, nature, and grace are means to make a woman gracious in a man's eyes. Yet, as we saw, there was none of that with us. None of this. He loved us not because we loved him. We were actually his enemies. So let's look at this bridegroom. I really don't understand it sometimes, but when he does speak in loving tones to me, I almost can't handle it. I, I just, it's hard for me to accept it because I still know what I, I could be like inside. And then he'll just surprise me sometimes out of the blue, and he'll just say, I love you. I love you. You're so precious to me. And, and it made me think about the Song of Solomon in chapter 5, where he's 
again, he's wooing her. He's knocking on her door, and he, he calls her by such loving tone, my dove, my lovely one, my perfect one. Really? Really? Yeah. That's how he sees us in spite of what we are. That's what's so amazing to me. That's when I'm like, God, I don't understand you, but thank you. I love you. I don't understand why you see me that way. I don't see me that way. But God, thank you. Again, it just makes me love him more and want to be the wife I'm called to be, to honor him like a good wife should, to represent him properly. So that people can say, yeah, that's his wife. Not, oh, yeah, that's his wife. It's sad. But the world looks at the church and says, that's, that's his bride? Really? They're no different than we are. We should stand out. We're the bride of Christ. He's adorned us with so much. So that we can be beautiful to the world. So let's consider this bridegroom. He's exalted of rank. In other words, he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. He's, he's no earthly king. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. We have to understand we're betrothed to the risen Christ. Okay, you know what the problem was when Jesus came on the earth? He left all that behind. He came common. It says in Isaiah 53, he had no former comeliness that we should desire him. And he came that way for a reason. Okay, Uh, so that's why the Jews were like, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of there. There was nothing about him. I think someone was saying the other night, maybe it was you, that I don't think he had flowing locks and blue eyes and, you know, that when we saw him, oh, wow, who's that? I don't know. There was no former comeliness, nothing about him. Common. But he's not that way anymore, people. He's wizard. He's glorious. We have such descriptions of him, especially in the book of Revelation, eyes of fire. Philippians 2 talks about that, where it says, you know, when he came, he made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a servant. He came in the likeness of men, and he died. He he became obedient even to the point of death, the death of the cross. That's what he did so we can be betrothed. And so when he accomplished it, it says, therefore God highly exalted him. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He has all authority. He is the supreme king. There's no one that even comes close to him. That's who it is that wants you. He's given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth. So imagine this. That's your husband. How should you treat him? How should you come into his presence? If everything is bowing down to this glorious king, 
who deserves honor and respect and glory. He's not just somebody. We're to honor and respect our husband and reverence him in the proper way. But yet, he still pulls us aside and embraces us and loves us. Again, I, how do you deal with that? But that is the reality. Okay, this king, forget about walking into the White House. I'm sure that has some, you know, significance to it. Not right now, maybe, but um, I mean that. Uh, but still, just the, the idea of president should, should garner respect that you walk in there, you're not, hey, Prez, what's happening? Walk in, you know, the, the security guards probably jump on you. No, you, there's a decor, right? If you go, especially like maybe the king and queen of England, there's a certain way you approach them. You don't just, hey, buddy, how are you? Good to see you, Charlie. I don't think so. No, there's a certain reverence and honor. How much more, Christ? You know, I hate to say it, but church, a lot of times, I don't even know how to say this, but there should be an awe and reverence about God in the house of God. We need to understand who it is, whose presence it is we're coming into. We've lost that in the church. We've brought him down to a level that he, he never was intended to be. And we need to raise him to his rightful place. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and in trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So you see there's something about that that, this whole idea of being betrothed in my salvation, I shouldn't take that lightly. Like, I need to honor that. Even with fear and trembling. Because he's king of kings and lord of lords. He's rich. It says in Colossians 1.19, it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. He's rich. Endless riches. He comes with a dowry. Whatever the husband has, the wife has. Right? I've encouraged you guys to read through Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, which talks about all the riches we have in Christ. And it's all over Scripture. Romans 8, so many different places where it talks about. 1 Peter 1, the blessed hope. Everything we have in him, everything he has is ours. We have an inheritance in heaven stored up for us. He imputes his own righteousness, his own sanctification. Again, that's what we see in Isaiah 53. Of his fullness, John 1.16, it says, we have all received grace for grace. 1 Corinthians 1, again, speaks to this. You see your calling. Not many wise, not many according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame those things which are mighty. The base things of the world, the things that are despised, God has chosen the things which are not to bring to nothing things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, that it is written, 
he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. That's why he can look at me and say, my dove, my love, my perfect one, because of his righteousness, because of his justification, because of his sanctification. Anything I have comes from him. And he's been encouraging me, and I want to encourage you to rest in what he's provided for you. Because it's yours. As his bride, everything he has is yours. And he wants you to rest in that. Okay, and then there's other, so many other things, which just so you understand, I'm going to be talking about this. I don't know how much longer. So I'll be breaking things down more. I'm just kind of touching on things today. Otherwise, we'll be here forever. But we have access to his throne day and night. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Let us therefore, or seeing them, we have a great high priest. Right? Jesus, who passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We don't have a high priest who doesn't sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to that throne, the King. Remember in Esther where she had to go in to the king? Again, a, a picture there of even on earth, like you don't just walk in. She could have lost her life, but yet we have access to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Day and night, come to my throne. Come boldly. Day and night. He promises to provide for all of our needs to always be there for us. Hebrews 13, 5 says, let your conduct be without be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's a good husband. He will not forsake you like a wife in her youth. He's faithful. He promises to defend us. Verse 6 says, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Romans 8.31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for me, who can be against me? And then lastly, he promised us a home in all of eternity. In John 14, verse 1, I want to say this to anyone that's troubled today. If you're looking at the world, if you're putting your hopes in the world, if you're focusing on yourself and, and your circumstances and the reality of what's happening in our world, um, your heart's going to be troubled. But Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe in me also. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you. That was they understood that back then because back then when you were patrolled to someone, it took about a year so, you know, they'd have the contract and all that and there were expectations on both sides, but the son would go back to the father's house and start preparing a room for his bride. And even he didn't know when the day of the wedding, he'd have to wait for the father. And we see a picture of that, that Jesus says, no man knows the hour. One day the father's going to say, son, go get her. Go get your bride. It's time. Go get her. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again 
I will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Praise the Lord. So how do we respond to that? How do we respond to that? This is where the gospel and what Jesus said, what it means to be a true disciple, comes into the place. Because when the gospel's not presented this way, how bad we really are, but yet how wonderful he really is. Oh, you might say a little prayer at the altar, but you're not going to forsake all. You're not going to want to suffer. You're going to hold on to your life in this world. Because you don't understand the value of who it is that has just invited you to join your life to his. So important. So again, while that bridegroom is preparing the place, the bride would wait and she would prepare herself for his return. That's what we're doing now. And this preparation time reflects the present age, which we are now to grow. We should be growing in our relationship with him. And we should be living in anticipation of him. So on our part, first of all, like I said earlier, when this is real to you, you should just want to be rejoicing all the time. That's where that rejoicing always comes in. Like, if you're living in the reality of this, thank you, God, I love you, I worship you. It don't matter what's going on, you can rejoice always. Give thanks, for the Lord is good, his mercy endures forever. And so then when you come into a service to worship, it's something you bring with you. It's not something people up here got to stir you up or, you know, have the right musicians and the lights and all this stuff going. It gets you a little emotional. That's not emotion. Although emotions follow, I love loving him and blubbering and all that, but it's a hard issue. It's what I know to be true. And then it just comes out of me because I've been living in the reality of it all week. Thank you, God. I love you. Oh, this light affliction is but a moment, Lord. I can't wait to be with you. God, I'm looking forward to that day for that wedding day, Lord. Thank you for even choosing me, Lord. I don't deserve such love and grace. Just Telling yourself that all the time. What do you think would happen to you? So, like Psalm 45, 10 says, forget your people. Forget your father, your mother. Follow me. I'm going to rejoice over you. His betrothed, as his betrothed, we are to renounce all of his rivals. All of the sin we've given ourselves over to. The world, the flesh. We're to love him with an undivided heart. I mean, when I asked Rose to marry me, I, I had some expectations, although... Who was I to have any? I mean, I was a harlot through and through. She's smiling. Don't use me as a representation what a husband should be, especially when we got married. I was still in my sin. But yet, in the natural, 
I still expected, it's kind of messed up, even I feel messed up saying it, because <laughs> I did the very thing I would expect, but she's not going to be running around on me. She's not going to be sleeping with other people. She's not going to be doing, she's going to be faithful to me. She's preparing herself for the wedding day. Do you see why sexual immorality is so horrible? We blew it before our marriage. We blew it. No boundaries. Oh, we're only going to go so far. And it's just, again, a picture. God wants a chaste virgin on the wedding day. Okay? Yeah, we blow it. We don't do it right. Thank God that he's made a way for us to be cleansed from our sin. Thank God for his righteousness. But I had expectations. He has expectations for us. He doesn't expect that we're going to keep running around with our same lovers. That we're going to keep pursuing the world and what his... Uh, he says, you can't have two masters in Matthew 6. You can't have two masters. You'll either love the one or hate the other. That was a verse he used to deal with me when I was still in my sin because I love the world. I love God, but I love the world. But Jesus said that's impossible. Still pursuing the things of this world. When 1 John says, do not love the world. 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not from the Father. It's from the world, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So we're not to love the world anymore. We're not to give our affections to it. We're to forsake all things. We see Matthew 13, 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. When he has found that one pearl of great precious price, he goes, he sells everything to have it. He understands the value. Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, wife, children, brothers, he's not telling us to literally hate. He's basically saying, I'm first. Everything else has to take second place. Everything has to fade in light of me. And it's that way in marriage. That leave and cleave. Leave and cleave. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And also in Mark 8, 34. Again, he expects us to be faithful, not playing the har harlot anymore. At the end of the book of Hosea, in, in ver uh, chapter 14, in verse 8, it says this, and, and this is God's goal for us, because his people finally come to the place where they're able to say, what have I got to do anymore with idols? I'm done. I'm done. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, you shall love the God, God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. We should be willing to suffer for him. Paul saw it a joy to suffer that he might know him. Right? In Philippians chapter 2. I'm sorry, uh, 3. He said in verse 8, Yet I indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, whom I have suffered 
the loss of all things, I count them as rubbish that I may gain him. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. We are children of God. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy. They're not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed. This wedding, I don't even understand what it means. You understand it's a picture of something awesome, something where we're caught up, we're made one with him, we're, we're just... It's like dropping us into an ocean of his love and we just assimilate into it. I, I don't even know how to express it into words. That's where we're heading. So, to finish, have you found him? Or I should say, has he found you? Okay, if you have... In the Song of Solomon, chapter 3, she says this, because she's found him, okay? She says, when I found the one I love, and I, I understand, he found me first, but I, I, I found him too. I'm learning, okay? I held him, and I would not let him go. I want to encourage you. Cling to him. If you found him, if you understand this betrothal and that you're his bride, cling to him like never before. Cling to him. That's what he wants. That's the best place to be, clinging to him, not to anything else, clinging to him. And I want you to remember this because we need to understand this about God because we, we don't see things right. Doesn't he receive us when he comes, when we come to him in spite of our past sinfulness? Doesn't he? Does he ever scold us because we did the wrong thing? I told you so. He's never been that way with me. I'm telling you, he just hasn't. I never get what I'm expecting from him because I don't see him right. There's none on earth like him. Is he the best of all the good, the fairest of the fair? Is he? Then let us praise him. Okay? Let pride, let everything that exalts itself above God be trampled underfoot. And let the cross of Christ, which the world scoffs at, be lifted high. Amen? Let him be set on high forever. And let my soul sit at his footstool, kiss his feet. And, and clean his, his feet with my tears and my hair. That's where I want to live. My bridegroom is worthy of that. How, how is it I can go somewhere else for comfort when he is so rich, so full, so satisfying? How is it we do that? How is it? I, I include myself in that. How is it we still think there's something else better than him? God, somehow get that out of us. Somehow, Lord, open our eyes to the reality of who it is 
that's calling us, that wants us, that's waiting for us. God, help us to, to love you the way you should be loved. You went through so much, God, to have us. God, I pray we would just be broken over it, Lord, and just lay everything at your feet and pursue you the way you deserve to be pursued. You're always pursuing us. Oh, God, help us to love you the way you should be loved. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Fellow believer, will you make a covenant with him today? Will you? With your heart that you'll never depart from him? I told the Lord, I tell him all the time, you know, I still have struggles. I, I have days I just want to give up, but where am I going to go? I found the one that's love, the one that loved me. And that's when I just run back to him and cling to him. And we just need to keep doing that. Where are we going to go? So let's make a covenant with our hearts that will never depart from him. I'll just say this, okay? There's a picture in the Song of Solomon. I think I read it the other day. And this happens to all of us, okay? It really does. In Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 5, he's already pursued her. He's already betrothed her. But just like us, she's gotten out of it. You know, she's given her heart to other things. And that's what the spirit of the world will do. It, it will cause a spiritual slumber. To come over us. So it says about her here in, in chapter 5 that she's sleeping, but her heart's awake. She's kind of out of it. And she hears the voice of her beloved, and he's knocking, and he's saying, open for me, my sister, my love, my dove. My See, again, those words, me? Yeah, that's how he sees you. It's amazing. Open for me. And, and you know, this is how we are. Oh, I'm tired. I've had a long day. Oh, Lord, I've taken my robe off. How can I put it on? I've washed my feet. How can I defile them? Lord, I'm just tired. I just want to, I don't want to do anything. I'll spend time with you tomorrow. Not now, Lord. Just can you come back later? You know what he does? Okay. He's so lowly. I'll go next door. Maybe they want me there. I'll go knock on another door. And he leaves. says, my beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. So I arose for my beloved. And it, now, this is a, a custom back then, okay? The bride-to-be, when her beloved came calling, she picked herself up. So she's not going to just come to the door, you know, with her uh, Mickey Mouse, uh, you know, slippers on, and you know those pajamas you see people wearing at Walmart? <laughs> not going to come. <laughs> I couldn't help that, sorry. <laughs> not going to come to the door that way, right? 
I'd never explore anything like that until I came to Kentucky, so <laughs> just an inside joke. <laughs> right, Diane? <laughs> late at night, okay? It's, it's usually late at night. Um, but, no, she prepared herself. She said, my hands drip with mirth. No, she got her best perfume. She put her perfume on. My fingers with liquid mirth on her hands. She fixed herself up. It's him. It's him. But it says after that, he left. Like I said. And then she had to go outside to pursue him. And it was dark. It was cold. The watchman in the city, they beat her. She started experiencing a little bit what he had to go through. The dark night he had to go through to get to her door. And that's what he's calling us to do. Are we willing to do that? It's time to get out of bed. It's time to arise. It's time to go up for us to go out and seek him. So let's purpose in our hearts to seek this wonderful bridegroom that has betrothed us to himself. Okay, and I'm just going to believe God for that. I, I'm not feeling an altar call today. I want to encourage you to go after him. Okay, and we're going to continue looking at this subject. But I do want to say to anyone online, you haven't responded even to the invitation. I think everyone here has. I mean, maybe there's someone here. Y maybe you didn't understand, actually, this transaction. You thought, oh, yeah, I'll go. I'll give my life to God. I'll pray a prayer. And, but you really didn't understand what it meant. It meant your life was over. It meant your life now is joined to Christ. It meant now that you really do have to forsake all that. You're not living for this world. You're living for him, and you're preparing yourself for him. You're living for a different kingdom now. So maybe there is someone here like that. Or someone, like I said, that has never even responded to the invitation. I want to implore you today. What is left? What is left if you refuse this divine invitation? What is left of you? Nothing but wrath. Being left outside. We see a picture of that in Matthew 25. And what's scary in there, it's really a picture of the condition of the church, people that look like a bride. Half of them looked like the bride, but there was something missing. There was no spirit. There was no oil in the lamp. They were foolish. They just worked on the outward. They didn't let them come in. They didn't join their hearts to them. And when the time came, they were left outside, and it's a picture of what happens. When we don't fully embrace that invitation. So I'm imploring anyone today. Don't wait till the door shuts and it's too late. Respond to this loving, wonderful bridegroom that is knocking on your door. So Lord, I just thank you today first and foremost, Lord, for calling me your own, your bride, calling us. I know there's many here, Lord, and Lord, we are covenanting with you, Lord. You're faithful. You don't break your covenant. We're the ones that stray. But Lord, we're here today. We've just gotten a little glimpse today, Lord. 
But Lord, we want to, as best as we can, say, Lord, we have found you, and Lord, we're going to cling to you. I pray that for everyone here, Lord, that in the days to come, we would learn what it means to cling to you, to have no other but you, to grow in our knowledge of you, to grow in our relationship with you, to, to be ready to prepare ourselves, and Lord, really also to tell other people about you, just like that Shulamite did in the next chapter. And then they wanted to seek you as well. Lord, that's why we're here as well. So, Lord, just do that in us, first and foremost. And, Lord, for anyone else, they don't know you. They, they haven't really responded to you properly. Whether they just said a prayer at an altar and didn't understand what they were actually doing, but maybe today they're beginning to understand and want to commit to you in that way, want to uphold their end of the contract, of the betrothal contract, Lord, I pray you'll draw them this morning. And any others, Lord, that they've heard you, they've heard the gospel, but they're still not responding. They don't understand their need, how bad they really are, and in need of what you did for them, Lord. So, God, I pray, Lord, for any today that don't know you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would convict them, would open their eyes so that they would see properly. They would see their wretched, poor, miserable, naked and blind, but they would also see, Lord, you have a covering. You have a robe of righteousness. You want to cover their shame. You want to cover their nakedness. Just like that baby, the picture of the baby left to the side of the road in Ezekiel 16 that's wallowing in its blood that was thrown out to die, Lord, and you came, you picked it up, you cleaned it up. That's what you do with sinners, Lord, and I pray none here would resist this tremendous grace because what's left, Lord, what is left if we resist this wonderful grace? that you bestowed upon us in Christ. So, Lord, I pray for any here or online, they would bend the knee to you. They would surrender to you. They would repent and ask you to cleanse them and to take them as your own, Lord, to take them as your bride, to give you their heart, their life, to, to walk away from this world, Lord, and to follow you as a bride should. I pray that today, Lord, and I thank you for it. So if there's any here, God is speaking to you. I want you to make your way up here so someone can pray with you, and you can do it right. You can give your heart to him, and you can make a covenant with him to follow him, to give him your heart, to give him your life. He's here today. He's here right now for you. He's calling you now unto himself. Turn away. Turn away from worthless things. Turn to him like we sang earlier. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and come to him. If you're online, come to him. Just get down and kneel down before him. Bend the knee to him. Say, Jesus, have mercy on me. I hear you, Lord. God, I'm a sinner. I need cleansing, but I thank you, Lord. You made a way. You went into the Holy of Holies. 
in, a, in heaven and you sprinkled your blood once and for all that I might be cleansed. So God, please wash me. Cleanse me of my sins today. I want to give my heart. I want to give my life to you. I want you to come and live inside of me. You just pray that to him. He'll honor your prayer. He'll do above and beyond what you can think or imagine. So Lord, I thank you for anyone that's responding to you right now. I pray they will know that cleansing power of the blood, Lord. It doesn't matter how dirty they become. It doesn't matter how much guilt has weighed them down. Lord, lift it now. Lift it, Lord. Impute your righteousness. Impute your own justice, Lord. Sanctify them. Set them apart, Lord. And make your abode in them, Lord. And draw them into your chambers, Lord, that they might know you. Fill them with the Holy Spirit. Come to live inside of them, Lord. So we thank you, God. You are wonderful, Lord. And we love you. And we worship you.